There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. There are no people in the future. Let me try my people cut. Hey everybody, 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 welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, October 2nd, 2023. Yes, sir, uh, <clears throat> for our uh, live YouTube watchers and viewers, uh, you got to be treated to me a little on on camera editing as I'm kind of getting my uh, act together here on this uh, first Monday of October. Boy, you know what that means. Uh, we are about a month away, a little more than a month away from these uh, municipal and school board elections. It's going to be something else, let me tell you. Well, yes, uh, this is uh, Raging Chicken's Out to Coop Live, and I am Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, on Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast at Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash the subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. Yes, and look, if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure you leave us that five-star review. And, you know, leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. Special thanks to all our new YouTube subscribers. Uh, we're just about uh, ready to crack the 300 subscriber mark, which I'm pretty psyched about. Um, it is the long, slow haul of kind of uh, building this show and building our connections and, uh, you know, expanding the work that we do. Um, so thank you for kind of joining us up here. And thank you to our latest uh, uh, new um, patrons, too, as well. Um, thank you for coming on aboard. Appreciate that. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams, and subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House, and they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them at night at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter slash X. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by Bucks uh, by Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by this guy, yours truly. Yes, it is indeed. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions. You know, so we can steer the community towards calmer, saner, progressive roots. And boy, do we need that right now. And in case you missed it, The Beacon just launched a new Gen Z-focused podcast that is hosted by, oh, it's called The Civic Circle, and it's hosted by three amazing young women, um, one from uh, one who's still in high school, two that are just recently graduated from Bucks County High Schools and are now off in college. And they get together to talk about, you know, things that matter to Gen Z. Uh, we've got a new episode coming out real soon. It's a fantastic one. Includes some extra interview material. It's a great show. I'm looking forward to letting you know when that's coming out. That's uh, just finished doing the uh, editing on that one. Is like pretty awesome. And we got a new uh, episode of The Signal dropping this week, too, as well. So do check that out. Should be out Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, October 5th. Attention all you gamers out there, The Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black-family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything for Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, balls of Funko Pops. And kids, you know, check it out. When school starts, you might even find yourself getting a discount um, if you do get some A's on your report card. Check them out on their Facebook page or follow them on Twitter at, at The Game Inn. That's with two N's, at The Game Inn on Twitter. 
Got a question about something about a game? Uh, got a question about a game? Something uh, hard to get? Shoot me a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at @songadayman. That's with two N's at @songadayman on Twitter. Well, today's show, um, I'll tell you, it's going to be a little casual this evening, uh, I must say. Um, I spent the day yesterday in um, uh, in Harrisburg um, for the PA climate convergence. Um, it was it was a great show. I mean, great show. <laughs> it was a great day. Uh, it was beautiful weather. Um, it topped out around 80 degrees yesterday. Um, and had a little setup there, you know, had Raging Chicken Media. We had our own table. Had a chance to interview a bunch of folks um, who were there, different advocacy organizations, got to attend some panels. Um, and the biggest surprise and kind of a little bit of a last minute um, um, thing to do, which I was pretty psyched about being able to step in and do this. Um, the keynote event for the um, for the PA climate convergence, um, yesterday, um, a featured event, I should say, was an interview with, uh, that Jocelyn Diffenbaugh, right? If you remember Jocelyn Diffenbaugh, she was, uh, the founder of the teen bands books club in, um, Kutztown. And, uh, that, you know, she, she started that organization with some friends, um, back when we had some school boards at her school board, this is a Kutztown area school district was getting on this, the kind of, you know, book banning wagging. This is after people like Paul Martino dumped $10,000 in that school board race in order to tip the scales toward this kind of, you know, I don't even know what you call, what do you even call these people? I like to call them right-wing extremists. And that's the, you know, I mean, that's kind of what they are, but I mean, I mean, these are like kind of like anti-democratic forces. These are people that are just looking to turn uh, turn back the time into some sort of ideal future that never existed, unless you were, of course, a white man um, that happened to be rich too, as well. But I digress. Anyways, uh, Jocelyn Diffenbaugh was going to um, interview Alan Gratz. And if you remember Alan Gratz, we've had him on this show. Um, Alan Gratz is, uh, you know, he's a young adult uh, fiction writer. Um, his books are extraordinarily popular. Is like one of my daughter's favorite authors of all time. She's read a whole bunch of his books. And he came out with a new book in 2022 called Two Degrees. And Two Degrees was... Um, set um, around um, stories of three kids. Well, I should say four kids, but two of them were in the same location. So three areas, one kind of Alaska and Miami, and then I think Colorado, I think is where the other one was set, right? And they all experience kind of these simultaneous natural disasters that have been exacerbated and brought up by climate change, right? Massive, say like massive flooding and hurricanes, wildfire and the melting of um, the Arctic North, right? And so it's the stories of these kids. Now, if you read anything by Alan Gratz, Alan Gratz is, you know, he's primarily interested in telling really cool stories, but you know, he's done a lot of like historical fiction, does a ton of research for it and kids just eat up the stuff. Anyways, uh, Jocelyn has uh, interviewed Alan Gratz before. Um, she interviewed him when uh, he came to Kutztown after his book was banned from the Kutztown area school district. Um, they were able to, uh, Red Wine and Blue stepped in, raised a whole bunch of money to buy, I think, 200 copies of books to give out to middle schoolers uh, who were um, originally planning on reading this book, but then they got banned from the school district. So, uh, and then the uh, awesome folks at Firefly Bookstore, um, who host the Teen Band Books Club, um, uh, set up some events and worked with Alan Gratz. And Jocelyn called up Alan Gratz after to let him know what was going on. And he set up a special event where it came out and she interviewed him as part of an awesome night and book signing event. It was just a, it was a great time. We were there, posted pictures about it, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, Jocelyn was going to be interviewing Alan Gratz as the featured event to kind of close out day one of the climate convergence. Um, climate convergence all day yesterday was kind of like, they called it like the, um, it's kind of like the, like a festival more than anything, festival for the planet, they called it. Um, advocacy organizations were out there, great music, um, entertainment, um, little art stuff, you know, it was, it was a good, really good day. Uh, and to close out the day one um, that she was gonna interview him. Uh, a couple days before the event was going to happen, 
Um, Alan Gratz got in touch with Karen Ferdin, who's one of the kind of lead organizers of this, say, look, I, I'm not gonna be able to make it. I got COVID. <laughs> so he was really bummed out, was looking forward to it, like right up until that day. So Karen asked me like, hey, listen, any chance that you're gonna be there already, any chance that you'd be willing to interview Jocelyn uh, for the featured event? I'm like, absolutely, you know, um, go ahead, let, let's do it. Um, yeah, good evening, Amy. Good to see you. Good to see you, Amy. I'm dying to talk to you about Wheel of Time, um, uh, season two. Uh, I'm I'm almost caught up to it. I got I just didn't see the most recent issue, but anyways, our episode. But but anyways, I digress. So anyways, Alan got uh, COVID, so I ended up interviewing uh, Jocelyn as the kind of the end of the day uh, kind of event, which was really great. <clears throat> um, it was uh, super right. I got a chance to meet her, meet her mom or sister and stuff, or mom's just a, a, an amazing woman too as well. Uh, you could kind of, uh, I, I said this, you know, I said this to, um, to my wife when I came home and stuff, I told a little story about, um, some stuff that, um, happened at there. And I was like, you know, it was, it's just awesome to see, um, like a parent, any parent just happened, you know, this was her mom, the kids, but like have such confidence, right. And support for her daughter, you know, I mean, it was just great. Right? I mean, any kid, I mean, this kid it's her daughter. Right. But I mean, for son, I would say the same thing, but it's just like, you know, like such confidence in Jocelyn to be able to kind of handle difficult situations and kind of um, just do great work and um, support her in her building of this teen band books club. Um, and, you know, Jocelyn just did a kind of an amazing job, had a, get a good little crowd at the end of the day, great questions from the audience. Um, we had one guy <clears throat> who was, you know, one of these little disruptors that we all know from all of our school boards. And you can imagine the conversation, not even to get into it. Um, but, you know, Jocelyn handled that one like a champ too as well. And um, like huge thanks to the folks at the PA Climate Convergence for all the support getting Jocelyn out there. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm glad I was able to kind of kind of step in so that event could still go forward. Uh, in addition to that, they had a, a, a banned books giveaway table there. They were giving away banned books um, and gave away a bunch more of Alan Gratz's book, Two Degrees. Um, just a great kind of event. It was that kind of day. So uh, I guess I started at the end first, but you know, that's kind of what I did. So let me tell you a little bit about, this is kind of more like a programming note more than anything else. Um, in my, in, in, in my brain where I, where I believe that time is some like not a limited quantity that I think everything, you know, I, I'm like, Oh yeah, do this, 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 and this. Well, I did a bunch of interviews throughout the day, just short interviews with, uh, some of the different organizations that were there, why they were there, what they're working on, on that kind of stuff. And um, I was going to try, well, not going to, I'm still going to do it. Um, but I was hoping to be able to have the time today to just go in and, uh, you know, um, put together, edit that stuff and kind of have that out tonight. Uh, there was just realistically no way, I mean, given how much work I had, um, uh, I, I work I had to do and some Kind of meetings I had to get to, so it just just didn't happen for to, before tonight's show. That was one of the reasons why there was no notification about what we were going to be planning on doing tonight. I was hoping to bring that to you, but that's not going to happen. So, I also, in addition to those interviews that I recorded, um, I we also recorded the uh, interview with Jocelyn. Um, we were able to plug into the sound system. I'm hoping that recording has come out okay. Um, I gave you know listened to the first uh, few minutes of it. Seems like it's going to be pretty good. So I got to do some editing on that. And then we're going to bring that to you too, as well, um, probably on Friday. So, um, <clears throat> so this Friday you might get, uh, depending on what the editing looks like and how the interviews came out, uh, we might do just do a two part episode. Um, well, the interview with, uh, Jocelyn and then the, uh, um, we'll take, you know, a little break and then the interview with some of the other organizations that were there. Um, or we might just break it up into two episodes um, and they just kind of both released on Friday. So that's kind of the ideal, assuming everything's good with them, assuming everything that um, is ready to go. Um, that's the plan, at least for Friday. I'm really excited to bring that to you. So because uh, I had some great conversations, uh, some highlights from the day. Um, I have to say one of my, uh, what I, I probably would say, I mean, other than the interview with Jocelyn, my highlight of the day, was a uh, short interview I did with Heaven Sensky, who's the organizing director for um, the Center for Coalfield Justice. Um, she was amazing, right? Um, and that organization is absolutely amazing. Now, you remember we had uh, Christina uh, Marusic on the show, right? This right here, right? This is her book, New War on Cancer. Um, and we're 
she's you know does a, did a lot of research on um, the um, the health impacts on uh, you know in these fossil fuel laden areas right in these kind of so called sacrifice zones and that's what you kind of hear being banded around in the fossil fuel industries. Um, so that is that book, and you know we had her on the show for her book release, but we also had her on the show before when she released this um, report called um, um, Fractured, right? Talking about the way that chemicals from fracking and other kind of fossil fuel related industries um, in southwestern Pennsylvania were show, you know, showing up in people's bodies, right? Um, the report was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Christina Marusic is just like an absolute kind of like gem to have as an environmental health reporter, environmental reporter. Um, centered in Southwest Pennsylvania out of Pittsburgh. Um, but two of the counties that she really focused on was uh, the Washington County and Green Counties, right, out in Southwest Pennsylvania. That is precisely where the Center for, uh, Center for Coalfield Justice is located, right? And I, I asked, I, after I got off the interview with, with Heaven, I asked her, I said, listen, I would love to have her on the show. She seemed to be kind of like, like up for doing that. And if not her, somebody from the Center for Coalfield Justice to have on the show because... The work they're doing was just so amazing. And the little highlight was why I thought her stuff was exceptional. What she said is because she started from people, right? Um, she started from the impact on actual people. And if you think about what the Green New Deal was, uh, was attempting to do, Right. The whole idea behind the Green New Deal is that we have we we know what the science is. Right. We know what the impact is going to be. We know what the cost of inaction is going to be. So here's our horizon. This is what we're going to shoot for. And this is how we can do this. And this is how we can have a just transition. And integral to the Green New Deal was starting from areas and people who were going to who have been and will who have been impacted the worst by fossil fuel extraction and extractivism more broadly, right? And also those communities who are gonna pay the price the worst um, with our climate future because of the climate crisis, right? And start from jobs. You can't have a transition without a just transition. You can't simply just say, okay, we're gonna have a, have a kind of like a shift to renewable energy um, and then just kind of, you know, um, have all the production take place in, in rich areas in Sil Silicon Valley as, and then just leave all these communities behind, right? All these communities that have been, um, you know, built around extractivist um, um, industries like coal, like natural gas, and who've also paid the price with their own health and their own bodies, right? I mean, black lung, right? You know, hey, Pennsylvania knows a lot about black lung disease, right? From the, from the coal work um, and the kind of pollution and the kind of um, the shortened lifespans as a result of working in that industry. We also know that people have had their water supplies des destroyed, their environmental destroyed, uh, their environment destroyed, their habitats are, have been destroyed, right? All out in these same kind of communities, right? So that was, uh, and and so that was the Green, Green New Deal say, no, we're gonna start with those communities, right? We start with where, where those needs are. That's where the new jobs, the good new jobs need to happen first, right? Um, and it's a way of thinking about paying back, right? Um, the cost. Right to the kids, the grandkids, the great grandkids of the people in these communities um, that have been devastated by extractivism, right? But who are also, let's be clear, who is also the backs upon which this country has been produced, has been, has, has been, has, has succeeded, right? I mean, the steel that was made in Pennsylvania was on the back of the steel workers in the coal industry, right? And the miners, right? And those people, right? The steel workers fought to unionize their industry, right? The, 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 the miners fought to organize their industry, United Mine Workers, right? The um, um, US, uh, um, I'm sorry, um, the steel workers, right? Steel Workers Union. Um, they were, you know, became the bedrocks, right? And so what was started out as industries that were looking to just throw people away, right? Whether it was gonna be, a, you know, send kind of miners in there with no safety, uh, like no safety requirements, um, they just burned through people. They didn't care if you died. They would send you to the, to the poorhouse, and they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't care. You got too sick to work. Too bad on you. Um, so they unionized and they fought. Right? Um, legends were born in those regions. Right? Same with the steel workers. Right? So 
these are areas where people fought to better their lives, right? And 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 many, uh, you know, so much of our uh, of the highlight of the union movement in this country, right? The highlight of kind of workers' justice, the the eight hour workday for Christ's sake, right? I mean, all these things were born, right, in these areas where people organized to fight back against horrendous conditions, and to build livable, sustainable jobs out of that. And yet, look, they still paid the price, right? Just because you got a good union and good medical insurance doesn't mean that you still didn't get black lung. It meant that you could get to a doctor and maybe you could catch it early, right? But it meant that your rates of cancer were going to be higher than other people, right? Um, but people like, look, you turn it in this, you know, it's a dangerous job, right? There's not a lot of other industries in this way. And it kept it made kind of like a middle class in areas of the country that were just going to be left behind otherwise. Right? So anyways, and these are the areas that, you know, look, we have a transition to, we have a transition to sustainable uh, fuels, we can get rid of fossil fuels, right? Well, guess what? All those areas that were relying on coal or relying on frack natural gas and all that stuff, those jobs, let's be clear, those jobs are going away, right? There's a good version of that and there's a bad version of that. The bad version of that is they go away when our climate is so devastated that it wrecks us that we're that you know we're in some sort of degrees of dystopian future, right? The good way is that we have this kind of just transition, right? And that just transition means that okay, you got to start with the needs of people. Right. If we know the like the science is already there, the future is already written based upon where we get. So then the only thing that's left are people. Right. The fossil fuel industry doesn't care a crap about any of us. But there's people. Now, this is the long I know this is the long introduction to talk about this, but the Center for Coalfield Justice, I just got to read you their mission statement here just, just real quickly. They're excited to improve policy and regulations for the oversight of fossil fuel extraction and use, to educate, empower, and organize coal field residents, and to protect public and environmental health. Our approach for working with area residents values their knowledge about the land, waterways, and communities. Our recognitions of local expertise is grounded in the belief that people who live with the daily impacts of fossil fuel extraction should be treated with the utmost respect. Our work is informed and directed by um, how local people think these industries should be held accountable for impacts. We provide community members with detailed information and proposed projects and potential impacts so that they can make informed decisions about individual and collective action. We connect people and similar struggles together to build power and invest in the leadership of people living in Washington and Green counties. By blending organization, organizing and legal work, we seek to create an expanded set of options for achieving justice that might be produced by following solely a legal or organizing approach. Through this approach and by investing in people's skills and leadership, our communities will be able to advocate effectively for healthy environment and thriving economy, right? So that gives you a sense of, of kind of like who they are. Heaven, when I spoke with her, what she kept on coming back to, she's like, when, I, she's like, when, I'm, when I'm out organizing, the first thing that I'm asking, I'm asking people about what they need. And how do we help? Right. And I brought this up and I said this to her. I said, you know, it's so good to hear this work because a lot of times you have folks that are fighting for climate justice, right? Start with both a language and an approach to organizing, right? That is rooted in kind of persuading people about the reality of climate justice, right? and bring a moralizing tone and attitude into communities that are dependent upon um, extractivism, right? And basically carries that attitude of like, this: these are the correct beliefs, and if you don't have these beliefs, what well, I don't know, right? Oh, and then once you split it further into like, you know, we play team sports with Democrats and Republicans, Right. And you're not starting with people, but you're starting with, oh, are you Democrat or Republican? You know, the discourses around Democrats versus Republicans, especially in the area of Trump, right, are, you know, are incredibly divided. The language, the tone, the way that people talk, right, the way that people are trained, especially on the left, especially in progressive circles, right? Very often, the language that we use can be off-putting, 
off-putting to communities who are most need the assistance in organizing, right? And need a future that they're not just going to be thrown away as trash. And so for her to say, look, the first thing I'm concerned about is people. I don't care. Like, you want to tell me you're a Trump voter? You want? I mean, she didn't say this. I'm giving you an example. You want to tell me you're a Trump voter? You want to say things that might seem a little, you know, kind of conspiratorial based upon what you're seeing, hearing on Fox News? You want to say kind of have some attitudes that, you know, are definitely like problematic? Okay. Right. But I'm not going to let that stand in the way of me organizing and making sure that you're going to get what you need. Right. It's like it's a way of keeping an eye on the prize and really organizing for the long game. If you start with, because look, there's nobody in the coal, like coal country that lives in coal country that is not aware of the devastation around them, who can't tell you stories about family members, if not themselves, who have been devastated by chemicals and fracking and, you know, health issues and a whole bunch of other stuff. They've also been devastated by, you know, having these companies just shut down and leave them behind and leave them with the trash. Right. So anyways, the center for Coalfield justice is just a, it was just, it was a real highlight. Um, and you know, having uh, Sensky was just, she, she was amazing to talk to. And, um, you know, I had heard about the center for Coalfield justice through, uh, Christina Marusic, right. Um, interviewing her and talking with her, um, but frankly, I hadn't reached out to the, them yet. I thought they were doing really cool work. This just kind of like put them to the front of the, you know, front of my pack. So definitely going to be reaching out. Um, you know, we got to exchange information and stuff. We can try to get her on the show uh, for Out to Coop Live because I think um, either she or someone else from Center for Coalfield Justice will come on the show um, and talk about their work. And I think it's uh, just a, a, an amazing model uh, for organizing. So there you have it. Um, I also talked to some folks from, uh, let's see, who else? Oh, Again, did not know this uh, This organization was kind of out there, right? Um, I'm, I'm sure I probably have seen, you know, things on Twitter or something about this, but TIAA Divest, right? We're talking with a woman from TIA, uh, TIAA Divest. Now, what is TIAA? TIAA is what, a retirement system, right? For people primarily in this, a, you know, education sector, like some nonprofit stuff, but the education sector, it is where my retirement is going to be because of course nobody has pensions anymore so you have these these things which are whatever i'm not even going to go down that road but they have a specific campaign um to divest to have tiai divest in fossil fuels now i'm not gonna i i didn't uh re-listen to that interview so i can't remember the percentage but they have a significant percentage of the portfolio for the reinvestment funds that are in fossil fuel extraction right within the fossil fuel industry. And so they're pushing to get TIAA to divest their funds um, from fossil fuel companies. Right? Awesome. Right? That was great. Got to talk with some folks for the Three Rivers Waterkeepers, right? Um, we know over here we have all the Delaware Waterkeepers Network. Well, this is kind of another other end of the Commonwealth, right? Three Rivers Waterkeepers, talk to them. Um, talk to some um, a great woman from uh, Third Act, Pennsylvania. Um, just you know, this is the third act, Bill McKibben, of course, um, who uh, was one of the founders of 350.org, right? Um, climate scientist has been kind of instrumental in kind of like in, in the movement and kind of popularizing climate science and so on. Um, founded recently um, third act as, you know, for folks that are kind of over 60s or in retirement area, right? To really focus on organizing both, you know, having folks who are, you know, 60 and older, right? Of retirement age, organizing, but also working to talk with other folks that are kind of, you know, kind of senior citizens, quote unquote. Right. That was a great interview. I um, had a great, um, great talk with some folks at the Climate Reality Project. Um, great talk with some of the folks at, um, let's see, who was uh, the Extinction Rebellion Philly. Um, we're going to hear um, for that interview, the Breathe Project. Um, I know I'm going to probably forget some here that I've been, oh, the intertwined faith community, really interesting conversation with a guy, right? This, uh, uh, intertwined is based out of Harrisburg, right? It's just kind of like, you know, non-denominational faith community that gets together. It's, you know, connected around issues of environmental justice. Very, very cool. Um, there were a bunch of other organizations that, you know, I, I, every, 
you know, it was the kind of thing, you know, I had to walk around with a mic to interview folks because the, the table that I had set up was kind of on the other end. It was over by where the music was, wasn't up where the tables were. So I just had to go around and kind of talk to people. Um, and, you know, I mean, they're there organizing. They're there talking to people who are, have come out for the day. And so I was trying to be respectful of their space. And there was, you know, a couple of times I'd come around and there was, you know, people around a, you know, around a, uh, a particular table. And, the, you know, I, I was waited around a little bit, but I didn't get a chance to interview everybody. Um, but got a kind of cool sampling of folks that were there. Um, so, yeah, um, a really good day. Um, it was a really good day. The, um, what else would I have to say? I also went to, I wish I, I could have gone to more, but I had just, just could not. I went to, um, caught a little bit of a panel on environmental justice. Um, that was really, uh, kind of cool. Um, had some, uh, Rafiqwa Mohammed, a Harrisburg based environmental justice advocate and artistic director for, um, uh, I think it's like nosy or, or, Gozi, um, N-G-O-Z-I Incorporated, um, serves on the DEP's Environmental Justice Advisory Board. Uh, Justice Shorter, a disability rights advocate, Joe Hill, um, defending the Ohio, um, and Ray Kemble, who's a Dimmick resident. Um, <clears throat> got to hear some of that stuff. Then in the afternoon, um, went to Current Threats and Opportunities, and that was uh, Tracy Carluccio, Deputy Director of uh, Delaware Riverkeeper Network. Uh, Susan Voltz, uh, Advocacy Coordinator of Clean Air Council, Karen Ferdinand, of course, co-founder of Better Path Coalition, Hybrid and Carbon Cat, and she was talking about hydrogen and carbon capture and storage. Linda Crispin, president of Save Carbon County of Cryptocurrency. That was a fascinating discussion. It was like, Jesus, he's something up the other. <coughs> um, uh, uh, Jenny Kerslake from, uh, she's the Eastern PA organizer of Food and Water Watch, for, um, focusing on data centers. Uh, Jillian Garber, Executive Director of Protect PT Injection Wells, she's focused on injection wells. Annika Van Rossum, Advocacy and Policy Coordinator for Delaware Riverkeepers Network. Uh, she was talking about the case out in, you know, there was a kids out in Mon Montana that sued, um, um, that sued, the, sued Montana um, for violating its, uh, um, its kind of green amendments in its state constitution. That was a great panel. I do have to say, though, um, there was just like, this great work going on, right? Um, and it, it felt good, right? That panel, Current Threats and Opportunities, was just like one of these stark reminders of the kind of, I don't know what you call it, but just evil, right? That these fossil fuel companies are engaged in. And what do I mean by evil? Like, there's, there's people that are just are doing bad things, right? Or their products produce bad chemicals, right? And I, I, I don't know if I want to call those people evil. But the people in the fossil fuel industry, and this is what this panel focused a lot on, is that about just the, the scheming that they'll do on local levels, right? In local communities, to lie about what their goals are, to manipulate the system, pay off politicians, get legislation passed that serves them, finding loopholes in existing legislation in order to just continue to advance extractivism. Now we had Karen Ferdinand on the show not too long ago to talking about the problems with hydrogen and carbon capture and storage, right? That was just one of the perfect examples. Karen was talking about that again at the um, on this panel. And Zip basically saying, you know, like, look, they're marketing this, you know, Biden administration just put a whole bunch of money into, you know, the hydrogen future and blah, blah, blah. We're going to invest in now Pennsylvania's infrastructure is focused on blue hydrogen, right? <clears throat> There's a whole rainbow of different kind of hydrogen you get out there, right? And hydrogen, I mean, you think about the trick that the fossil fuel industry played on us with natural gas. Right, I still remember these these commercials when I was young. From when I was young, I should say. They had the blue flame, right? <clears throat> Clean, burning, natural gas. Right? And it was like, I could still remember the commercial. Black screen, right? <clears throat> little, like, you know, almost like a candlestick, a little clean burning blue flame that comes on. 
And I remember growing up with that. I mean, this is how, how this stuff works, right? I remember growing up, seeing those commercials. I remember being kind of bummed out that we had an electric stove, right? And then eventually <clears throat> gas lines came to our, you know, uh, we had gas lines kind of like run to our stove. We finally got a gas stove and it was awesome, <clears throat> right? When I was a teenager, I could, t I could, I could make arguments. I probably, I was, I'm sure I had arguments with my friends of like a, how much better gas is, right? It just bad for cooking and all this other kinds of stuff, right? And then talking about how clean it was, right? Because that was the propaganda. And it's true. It burns cleaner than coal. It burns cleaner than diesel but you're still burning fossil fuel, right? You go from an electric stove to a gas stove. That means you're bringing in the burning of fossil fuels into your house. And now we've seen all these studies that have come out, of course, right? About how bad gas stoves are for your interior air quality and how it's led to all sorts of kind of increases in, in, in kind, of, kind of health issues, right? But what they did, and this is, you know, a brilliant look, Mark, for the PR people and the marketing, you know, kudos to you, right, for manipulating people and, and your skills and propaganda, right? Because what they basically did is they had us focus on the point of burning. So we're focused on that, right? Wow, it burns better than coal. But what they don't want us to see is the whole industry behind it. And as we've known, it's been well-documented now, as we had folks on this show to talk about, we talked with Karen about this, talked to lots of other folks about this, is that fracking especially is more carbon intensive than all these other industries. Because once you take into account the amount of energy that goes into getting the frack gas, transporting it around, refinery and all that, you're actually having a really dirty industry. But as long as we focus only on the burning point there, what's happening with hydrogen is the same thing, right? We think of hydrogen and I've seen commercials now on TV, right? I forget, I forget what the company is that that's, that's promoting this stuff. It's either a car company or maybe it's an energy company. I'm not sure. Um, but they focus on like literally the tailpipes of cars because with hydrogen, right? The byproduct of hydrogen right, is water. And you're like, oh man, it seems like a clean and easy solution, right? You switch over to hydrogen engines, you switch over to hydrogen fuel, and what comes out of your gas pipe? Oh, wait, there is no gas. What comes out of your tailpipe? Water. Not filthy water, not polluted water, just water. And as long as I'm focused on that tailpipe and that water dripping from the tailpipe, It's a great solution. But then we are trained in this country not to think about production, right? We only think about consumption. We don't think about production. So, but the minute you start saying, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Where does this hydrogen come from? Do people just like pluck it out of the air? Or maybe there's a fancy, because we know H2O, right? We all know hydrogen, like two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Do they take like water molecules and just kind of like sift them and just kind of shake? the water molecules, so the hydrogen falls out one thing and the oxygen, no. It's an energy intensive process to produce the hydrogen to, for the hydrogen economy, right? <laughs> to have build a, you know, a, a hydrogen fuel cells takes a lot of energy. They're, they're not at the point yet where they've been able to produce hydrogen simply from renewables. That's the ideal, right? But we all know in this country, we're not gonna invest in renewables, right? Biden's whole Build Back Better plan, right? Which would have invested just like, like it would have been an incredible investment in climate action. It would have helped build out that infrastructure, right? To, to, you know, to build out all that kind of renewable energy so that we could, we're gonna produce hydrogen. If you're gonna do that, you can do it through renewables. But there's a whole other problem with that but I'm, I'm not even gonna get into that now. But instead we're pushing it, you know, cause there's like, you know, they're dirty fuels and things like that, but we're gonna have blue hydrogen, right? You know, there's green hydrogen. That's one's all produced from, from, from 
you know, renewables, right? But there's big push for there's this gray hydrogen, right? You know, there's like different things, but there's big push for blue hydrogen. And Pennsylvania is building infrastructure. We're blue hydrogen, blue hydrogen, blue hydrogen. Yes, dude, for our energy future. Let's look at that tailpipe. Look at that tailpipe. Blue hydrogen. We're investing right here in Pennsylvania. Blue, 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 blue hydrogen economy. What does the blue mean? The blue means the same thing it meant in those commercials when I was a kid. Methane. It's burning natural gas as the fuel to get the hydrogen. And where is that natural gas coming from? Increasingly from fracked gas, which is already carbon intensive. So the amount of that kind of energy you're putting in to get this hydrogen, you, 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 you're at best, you're, you're at a wash. But if you also then consider all the carbon that is going to be expended in order to build out this infrastructure, in addition to the energy from methane that is getting put in to produce the hydrogen itself, right? And that's the process that I mean as evil, was these people know, they know what they're doing. Just like the tobacco industry did, just like the fossil fuel industry does, and they still do, right? This is what they're doing with here. They point us to the point of consumption, get our attention focused there. And meanwhile, they're just doing more of the same that they're doing. They're just looking for new ways to burn more of their, of their product, which keeps them rich. That's evil, especially when you know we are out of time when it comes to climate action, right? So you know people are going to die because of what you're, what you're doing. You know that entire communities are going to be lost, whole island nations gone, and yet you continue to do this and you use the same little PR manipulation that you always do to keep your pockets fat. That is evil. So, <clears throat> and I go on, the, the whole stuff about these data centers, like in this here too as well, these data centers and this, I, I'll give you one more example, right? There's this, um, <clears throat> try to remember which one it was. Both, well, both Ginny Kerslake and then uh, from um, the Eastern PA organizer for Food and Water Watch, she focused on data centers. And then Linda um, Crispin, uh, president of Save Carbon County, spoke about cryptocurrency areas. And the cryptocurrencies, of course, builds, you know, just like there's been, again, we've talked about this on the show. Um, 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 about the amount of energy that these... Uh, crypto mining centers um, kind of burned, like incredibly energy intensive. There was this little, um, this because of, again, this is one of the, I think it comes out of the Inflation and um, Inflation Reduction Act, right? The, the kind of the pared down version that they eventually passed. Great, some great climate legislation in there and some money for climate. Um, but one of them, you know, is the way this, you know, is investment in data centers, right? How you need to build out data centers and, and Pennsylvania has been really kind of like key on it. Right, but there's these weird loopholes in the um, in the law, right? Where you have these data centers, right, which are energy intensive, right? Um, and because there's money from the federal government to produce these kind of data centers, and there's also like money from the federal government for this hydrogen economy stuff. What's happening is there are some people that are kind of looking and buying up land. And they're originally, their goal initially is to get permitted for these data centers, right? But they know they're energy intensive. So then they're going to follow that up by building out the hydrogen infrastructure, right? On the, the land that they built through these kind of, I, I don't know exactly understand it. This is why I got to have some of them on the show um, to explain a little bit more. But it's just these, um, these kind of, I would call them loopholes in law, but it's more or less the way that funding works to help support projects like this. Um that they're, yeah, the data center is going to go up, but the real goal is to get that money for that hydrogen plant, to build that power plant that's going to eventually run the data centers because that power plant has got tons of money connected to it from the federal government, stuff like this. So you walk away from something like that and it's like, okay, now I'm depressed again. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, um, and I shouldn't put it like that because, you know, they, they were focusing on a lot of the victories that they had. But, you know, it just reminded me how exhausting it is, right? How exhausting it is to keep at it. Um, so kudos to all this stuff. So, I mean, uh, phenomenal stuff that happened all day long. So um, I wish I could have gone to more. I wish I could have talked to more people. But again, you can only do so much in one day. Um, and so that's good. So more of that coming your way uh, kind of in the near future. <laughs> um, ideally, we'll have it, you know, hopefully you'll have them both done by Friday. Hopefully they all came out really good. Um, then we'll we'll go from there. Uh, we also got, like I said, a good uh, good episode of uh, the signal coming out from the Bucks County Beacon. Um, working on that to have it out on on Wednesday. Um, I think you're gonna like this one. Um, just good stuff all the way around. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's what I got going on. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was just it was just a good day. Um, there was a bunch of other stuff I wanted to just to kind of throw out there for everybody tonight, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm fried. Um, what else was I going to say? Let me just go back to my little note here. Ba, 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 what I wanted to do, what I want to do. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. But if you, anybody else got any other information, got stuff like this, they want to get out there, events that are coming up. I know that um, at least people in my neck of the woods in the Penridge School District are, um, are Penridge, you know, are on these board elections. There's people that are, out there knocking doors every single day um, to get these school board candidates elected. Um, and, you know, kudos to everybody who's out there every day um, doing that work. Um, I know this is also the case in, you know, in Central Bucks, um, it's the case in, in Palisades, in Souderton, in Quakertown. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm looking forward to, um, to the election. You know, again, I'll be at my precinct. I'm the judge of elections of my precinct. And then, uh, uh, hopefully we'll get some good turnout and hopefully that we're going to get folks turning out, um, that are going to try to, you know, save us from the chaos, right? Save us from these folks that are trying to tear down, um, public schools. So that was, that's pretty nuts. Um, oh, the one other thing I should mention about the uh, PA climate convergence is that, you know, they had great music all day long <clears throat> and, uh, different events, the whole thing ran on solar. Right. Uh, it was really cool to see, you know, uh, like this guy, I talked to quite a bit, um, you know, cause they were right there who ran the soundboard and was setting up all the power and everything like this. Uh, you know, the sound was awesome. Right. I mean, you, you know, if you ever think about, you know, this, this, this whole idea about like solar renewables being kind of, you know, weak and, you know, not, you're not going to get enough energy out of it. They ran the whole thing on solar all day long and it sounded phenomenal. Right. I mean, they didn't have to kind of like have little tiny speakers. No, they had the full amps and everything like this was great. Um, so there you go. Anyways, um, that's the update. That's where we're at. That's what I've been doing. Um, I, I really wished I was able to bring you at least one part of uh, my experience yet, uh, to, uh, of the PA climate convergence tonight. But uh, you get it on Friday um, and that will hopefully that you'll enjoy those interviews. And I got a nice list of folks that I'm going to be reaching out to uh, to get on the show at some point. Um, for the next few weeks, uh, just so everybody knows, um, I'm going to be reaching out to folks around school board issues. Um, hopefully we're going to be able to get some school board candidates on the show. Um, folks that are working on these campaigns, um, to really focus on, um, amplifying the need to get folks out. We've got one month, um, left, um, to get people kind of aware of what's going on and get them out and kind of motivated to vote, um, and make sure we save our school board. Right. Um, and get rid of these uh, kind of Republican operatives that are are just setting us down some kind of weird Christian nationalist fantasy dream of their own. So it's nuts. Uh, but for now, we're going to call it that call it at that tonight. Uh, thanks for showing up tonight. Oh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, Duan Gang exhibition coming up soon at the Mercer Museum. Is that how you say it? this is the. Um, Mercer Museum has got some great stuff uh, that's coming up. Let me just get, I'll read the uh, thing for you. Let me see. I think we have this on our, um, I think we have this on our actual, on our refrigerator. Um, uh, uh, let's see if this is coming up here.
I'm just so. Museum permanent upcoming. Is it on there, Amy? Is that happening right now? That's coming soon, right? Is that here? Um, just looking for exhibition future exhibits. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. The, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right. The Duan gang, right? Outlaws of the revolution. Um, this is going to be, oh, this is next. Oh, I thought this was coming up sooner than that, actually. Uh, from May 3rd, uh, May 3rd of next year to uh, December 31st. So the Mercer Museum is embarking on an exciting new exhibition that explores the history and intrigue of a group of Revolutionary War era loyalists whose legend lives on today. The Duan gang, Outlaws of the Revolution, opens um, May of 2024. Surprising tale, the American Revolution focusing on exploring the multifaceted story of the Duan gang and highlights their deep passions and commitment to the King of England, their criminal activities, and the resulting conflicts that arose among neighbors, friends, and family as they were forced to choose sides in a conflict that many didn't want. Yeah, um, pretty cool. That's going to be awesome coming up. Um, the Let's see, where's the... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, you know what, I should actually get some of the folks from uh, Mercer Museum to come on and talk about some of their exhibits there. I just love that museum. If you haven't I've never been to the Mercer Museum or Font Hill Castle, um, definitely, definitely um, check that out. Um, just, just phenomenal work. Um, what was I just wanting? I was just looking for one other one, but I'm just the space right now. Anyways, I'm great. Thank you for that, Amy. Um, and thank you all for tuning in tonight um, and for all the work that you're doing. Um, looking forward to sharing with you a little bit more from my experiences uh, for the interviews that I did yesterday. That'll be coming out on Friday um, in in lieu of our regular show. We'll kind of put that one out. And then uh, hopefully we're going to have a scheduled some uh, set of scheduled guests coming up for the next several weeks. It'll take us up to the election um, and then we'll have it from there. Um, so thanks for turning out. Thanks for all, all your support as usual. And I want to remind you, you can help support this show because help support all the work that we do by heading over to patreon.com slash RC press, um, today. Uh, Amy also says the lecture series that started last month, uh, the Mercer is just absolutely, oh, the lecture series started last month and it's fantastic. Um, so do check that out too, as well. Um, head on over to the Mercer museum for more information for sure. All right, everybody, I'm out of here. Um, I'm going to get back to work. I got some papers to grade um, and, I'm, you know, forever playing catch up and here we go. All right, it's Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, you can help us out by heading over to patreon.com slash RC Press. Support what we do. It's five bucks a month, like a good beer once a month. Kick it in, join it, support us. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for your time and thanks for the work that you're doing out there in our community. Um, you know, to save our schools, to save our community. All right, everybody. See ya.